Welcome to This Moment in Democracy. I'm Saladin Ambar, and this episode was recorded on February 12th, 2024. In this special President's Day episode, we explore the latest insights from a comprehensive survey conducted by Justin Vaughn from Coastal Carolina University and Brandon Roddinghouse from the University of Houston. This survey, part of the Presidential Greatness Project, provides intriguing new findings about the rankings of U.S. presidents. With nearly 200 responses from scholars across various academic disciplines, the survey sheds light on the evolving perceptions of presidential greatness. Justin, Brandon, welcome to the show. Thanks, Dean. Great to be here. Happy to be here. Listen, before we delve into your survey, uh, why don't we start with you, Brandon? Can you share with us, and then we'll, we'll go on to Justin, a little bit about what drew you to uh, studying uh, and, and writing about the presidency and how you got involved? Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having us and letting us talk about some of these really important findings. The reason presidential greatness is important is because a lot of how we think about modern government is through the lens of the presidency. So understanding how people perceive presidential greatness is really kind of hand in glove in terms of how we think about the system's efficiency. We have been scholars of the presidency for a long time. We've been friends forever, and we were drawn to these kind of big questions about the ways that people perceive presidents and how that mattered in terms of the, the big picture. So we started to do the survey in 2015 about presidential greatness, asking our colleagues and uh, people who were allied with the presidency and studied the executive politics to weigh in on why it is and how it is that the presidents ended up being stacked up in terms of greatness. Justin, how about you? Yeah, you know, I uh, uh, I grew up in Illinois. I am uh, what Michael Beschloss once uh, referred to as a son of Illinois, a son of Lincoln, and, um, uh, you know, grew up going to Civil War uh, sites on family vacations and was always interested in in history, but in, in particularly the American presidency and particularly Abraham Lincoln, who in Illinois in particular, we learn is our greatest president, right? He's on our, the license plates. He's on the penny. Um, you know, it's appropriate to today's Lincoln's birthday as we're recording it. And so um, that uh, got me interested in studying the presidency professionally. But then, um, you know, as I uh, became a political science professor and got to know Brandon and other, other scholars and ha had these conversations about uh, presidential politics and kind of what we call presidential exemplars, um, Lincoln being, I think, the the, the most notable one, that um, uh, started to think it's a little unfair that the historians get to have all the fun in doing these surveys. And I think it was at some conference or another that I think Brandon and I came up with the idea of of doing a survey and initially a political scientist to see if, if we thought any differently about uh, uh, presidential rankings and ratings than the, uh, our historian, uh, colleagues do. Well, that's awesome. And the, the uh, term uh, or expression, historians have all the fun. I I'm not sure if that's ever been uttered before, but glad to introduce that to our audience. <laughs> First and only time. Little, little shot at my, uh, cousins from that, uh, other lovely discipline. Uh, <laughs> what we hear the term presidential greatness a lot. Uh, what does it mean? Presidential greatness? How, how are you all, uh, defining that? Well, one of the things that that's a, it's a great question, Dean, because there's there's not a uh, a specific you know consensus scholarly definition of it. Um, one of the things I like to say when I talk about presidential greatness is what it's not. It's not presidential goodness, right? It's not um, the best behaved presidents or the most um, uh, 
positive presidents. It's the presidents, I think, broadly uh, understood that have done the most to develop the institution. And in, in times of, of crisis, were, um, you know, charged with leading the nation through it um, in ways that were, you know, sometimes heroic, sometimes maybe not always consistent with democratic principles. But one of the things that we are interested in learning from uh, our our scholars who participate in these rankings is what they think of as presidential greatness and how that comes out kind of qualitatively and quantitatively in the results. We asked people an open-ended question, which is, how do you think about presidential greatness? And years past, we haven't done that. And this gave us a kind of window into how political scientists and people who are studying the presidency think about presidential greatness. So one that caught my eye was very bluntly put that presidents must maximize their power without breaking the law. <laughs> Historically, the way that histor like historians have thought about presidential greatness is that they expanded the office. They made the most maximum use of their powers that they could. But obviously, Obviously, we're seeing the addition that breaking the law is bad. So it's funny to say that, you know, there is this sort of, you know, Mount Rushmore type stability in how we think about presidential greatness. But what we're finding is that the way people define and discuss presidential greatness is changing over time. So just that was a great example, like be a great president. You know, you have to have your power maximized, but you also have to tether that to these norms. Some other things that we see pop up in the verbatim are things like advancing democracy. People have said they need to unify citizens. Uh, the great president represents the whole nation, not just partisan interests. So these are things we haven't kind of assessed before. And so to see this change over time is really important because that is how greatness changes. And the interpretation of who's a great president and how we hold them to these standards is really different now than it was. Well, and I'm, and I'm wondering what kind of... Um new data or information have you seen? Uh, what um, jumps out to you all as a surprise from this survey in particular uh, that speaks to any of those things, whether it's uh, related to democracy or just the rankings themselves? What's new here? Well, one of the things that's new here is, um, and it's a minor thing uh, in terms of the, the shift, uh, but um, uh, George Washington is kind of for most of the time considered the consensus number two president um, uh, after Abraham Lincoln. But in our survey, um, we saw that uh, Franklin Roosevelt just just barely eclipsed George Washington this time around. And so so we have a new number two in our survey of uh, Franklin Roosevelt. And, and that maybe is a, is a good excuse to talk about how we do the rankings. What we do is we ask our participants to rate each president on a scale of zero to 100, 100 being as great as you could possibly be. And so Franklin Roosevelt um, scored a 90.8 and uh, George Washington scored a 90.3. So they're pretty darn close, right? There's a half a point, that half a percentage point that separates them. But for the first time, and this is the third time we've done the survey, for the first time, Franklin Roosevelt came out ahead of uh, of Washington. So, that, so that's, a, that's a new one. Um, also, I think new and interesting and I think worthy of discussion um, here and elsewhere is um, that for the first time we included Joe Biden in our survey and uh, Joe Biden ended up coming in in the top, in the top 15, number 15. So the top third of, uh, of presidents. And, um, you know, he's, he, he trails Barack Obama, he trails Bill Clinton, but he's ahead of, of presidents that, you know, we remember learning about in, in grade school and high school, like, uh, um, uh, you know, Woodrow Wilson, Ronald Reagan, 
uh, James Monroe, right? John Quincy Adams. And so there's a lot of, of august chief executives that Joe Biden has come in ahead of uh, in, in this current ranking or in his inaugural ranking in, in our study. Well, Brendan, that that's a little wild, given that he currently that is the current president, Joe Biden, is uh, uh, not to put too fine a point on it, quite embattled, it seems, uh, by most of the poll data, uh, recent uh, headlines about his mental capacity. Um, what gives is there uh, it seems to me to be some disconnect between what the experts are seeing in terms of where they're ranking him versus maybe our popular uh, sensibility. What's what's going on here? Yeah, it's a great question because, you know, we know that presidents are judged not just by kind of what they do while in office, but also how they came to office and how presidents in the near past have been seen. And so we're calling this, for lack of a better way of putting it, the kind of Trumpification of presidential greatness. So all of the presidents, especially Democratic presidents who served before Trump and who are now currently serving like Joe Biden, have got a bit of a bump. Like their increase in the survey is pretty stunning. Barack Obama, Bill Clinton, Jimmy Carter are all increased in terms of their rating because of this notion that Donald Trump has kind of, you know, changed the nature of the presidency in a way that makes people all their perceptions about presidential greatness. So I think that's really what's stunning about it. And, you know, a, a partisan could make a firm case for Joe Biden to say that, you know, being able to defend the Obamacare and, you know, passing some of these big bills, maybe looking at some of the gun control legislation that was passed, you know, these are all efforts that, you know, make for great presidents. But what the fine print says for presidential greatness is that it doesn't happen very much. So for him to jump so far ahead is definitely a partisan story, obviously. Obviously, academics tend to lean left, but it's also a story about kind of how we sense the norms of the presidency and where that positions presidents to come. Well, speaking about the norms of the presidency, um, you, you raised uh, former President Donald Trump. Uh, how has his reshaping of the norms of the presidency uh, affected his ranking in the poll? Where does uh, or in the survey, where does uh, Donald Trump come out uh, in, in your survey? Well, uh, he comes in last. Uh, Dean and um, he uh, he's he's at the bottom of the list with in in company of of people like uh, uh, Franklin Pierce and Andrew Johnson and James Buchanan, uh, you know Warren Harding company that I think as a president you probably don't want to be in, um, uh, and he he trails them in some cases um, significantly uh, and this was also the case last time. In fact, the only really change that happened um, from the from the last survey we did to this one is that. Um, Trump went from 44th to 45th because we had a Biden into the mix uh, and that the number that his rating uh, on a scale of zero to 100 dropped a few points. Um, but otherwise, he has not really seen uh, any kind of movement, uh, unlike some of the other presidents that we've seen kind of moving up or down over these rankings over the years. Right. Well, you, you both use this expression, Trumpification, or you re just use this expression, the Trumpification of, of the presidency and, and in your survey uh, results. Could you just elaborate a little bit more on how that um, how Trump, Donald Trump faces uh, or placed uh, a different kind of um, set of results in play for you all um, over his four years in office? Yeah, it's interesting because we know that presidential greatness typically is like predicted by winning a war, peace and prosperity, or having fewer scandals. But for Donald Trump, the kind of 
freneticness of his presidency, the chaos of his presidency, you know, waking up every day to a different headline that was, you know, screamed <laughs> about some problem that existed because of the White House or and, uh, and so these are all things that definitely, I think, weighed on the people who looked at this. So, yeah, traditionally, the things that like academics suggest or the covariates that are the that are the connectors for presidential greatness. You know, Donald Trump either, uh, you know, didn't have enough of or had too many of in the case of scandal. But we're also finding a kind of different dimension to how people perceive greatness. And that's about polarization. So we asked people which presidents were the most polarizing and least polarizing. So not surprisingly, Donald Trump is the most polarizing president, followed by Jackson and then Obama, Reagan, and then George W. Bush. So this is a set of presidents who just evoke that partisan divide. And for different reasons, sometimes scandal, sometimes war, that's really the thing that's driving a lot of people's perceptions about the polarization. It doesn't mean these presidents aren't considered great presidents, because like we said, Barack Obama still actually comes out pretty high on that list, uh, Reagan as well. Uh, but obviously, presidents like Jackson have fallen the last few years, and George W. Bush tends to kind of be pretty much the same as he was when we first started asking this question. So uh, we should add to the list of things that people consider a presidential greatness as sort of a less polarizing president. The people, the presidents who we, when we ask the same question, know who the least polarizing presidents are, we got the following responses, Washington, Eisenhower, Truman, FDR, JFK, and then Monroe. So these aren't all like the top level presidents, but there are some top presidents here, including Washington and FDR, who like Justin said, we found to be basically one and two. It seems to be uh, to be very much part of the uh, defining quality, uh, to be bipartisan or uh, to have a kind of national, um, the national interest at heart. Uh, and in thinking about these great presidents, uh, you ask a fascinating question about Mount Rushmore. Uh, and, and, you know, um, shout out to all of the Hitchcock fans who who learned about presidential greatness through uh, North by Northwest and looking at <laughs> Mount Rushmore at the end. Spoiler alert. Uh, you have Lincoln, FDR. Uh, excuse me, Lincoln, Washington, uh, uh, Jefferson and Roosevelt, Teddy Roosevelt on Mount Rushmore. Can you just share with us what that question about Mount Rushmore was and, and what did you learn? Yeah, yeah, you know, we've asked this before and this is kind of an interesting thing. Um, so we asked just, you know, the, 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 the participants of our survey to uh, tell us who they think should be the next president that will be added to Mount Rushmore, which is purely a hypothetical because uh, there isn't going to be another president added to Mount Rushmore. There's not room for it. Um, but uh, if there were, then who would it be? And this twice in a row, actually three times in a row now, we've we've had Franklin Delano Roosevelt overwhelmingly be the, the choice. But what's interesting is kind of what happens after. And so last time around we did it, it was Franklin Delano Roosevelt overwhelmingly but then there was a lot of support, uh, equal support for Ronald Reagan and Dwight Eisenhower after that. So a couple of Republicans um, who, um, you know, either had, you know, transformative or normatively good uh, uh, presidencies. And this time around, we still had an overwhelming um, response for Franklin Roosevelt. But after Franklin Roosevelt, it changed a little bit. And, um, you know, now we have uh, Barack Obama as the number two choice, um, followed by Eisenhower, Kennedy, and James Madison, although those last three just got uh, negligible levels of support. So it's really, you know, FDR by a mile uh, and Obama in a distant second, um, which is uh, a quite a bit different, at least in terms of the runner-up, than what we saw before. 
Interesting. Uh, I'm wondering what contributes to some of these uh, dramatic shifts up and down when you mentioned Reagan down seven uh, in, in this uh, recent, uh, more recent survey. Uh, folks like uh, Grant up four, uh, McKinley down five. Any uh, sense of what leads to these fluctuations um, from year to year, survey to survey? Yeah, that's a great question. I think part of what's happening is that you do see kind of a reassessment of the presidents and the world in which they lived and how they handled it. We expect sort of greatness to come from these really high pressure moments. And typically presidents who rise to those moments are rewarded with uh, this higher greatness measures. Um, but in, in some cases, obviously, a reassessment of how those presidents handled certain kinds of actions might be seen in retrospect as being problematic uh, from a racial perspective or from a gender perspective. So uh, presidents um, like Wilson has fallen. Presidents like Jackson have plummeted down the rankings. Uh, president like Polk surprisingly also dropped down in the last two surveys. So these are all presidents whom, after some reassessment and you know, kind of in the context of the kind of cultural norms and political changes in the country, people start to see them as less great. So in effect, they met a moment, but not met the moment as judged by this kind of new standard of how we think about what should have happened in a perfect world. Yeah, I think, uh, and I think there's another way where we can use that word Trumpification again. I think that, um, you know, we see, we see in the results this time around, uh, our experts a little more partisan than before, um, you know, rewarding Democrats more, um, punishing Republicans more, uh, but also this idea of, of really basing assessments of greatness on not only the traditional factors like, you know, military victory and economic growth, but also kind of adherence to presidential norms, right? That, that um, you know, there's a lot of uh, disdain in this poll or in these results for President Trump. And that's partly partisan, but a, a big part of it is um, is about, you know, kind of his violation of perceived norms, uh, some strongly held norms about how a president comports himself, all right? And there, there are certainly other conservative presidents who behaved in a more traditionally presidential way that come out better in this survey. Um, so it's not just his partisanship or his ideology that I think that our, um, many of our our participants are reacting against. Um, uh, and so, you know, presidents who also maybe didn't uh, didn't follow through on those normative expectations of leadership um, suffer uh, suffered a little bit as well. And then and then you have some interesting things like like Ulysses Grant, just as. Andrew Jackson has fallen down. Ulysses Grant has really kind of had the opposite experience over our last few surveys. And it's one that we've kind of puzzled over. It's not like we've really learned a lot new about Ulysses Grant in the last decade that would make us see him, you know, fly up the rankings. And yet um, this same kind of assessment is happening in other similar presidential greatness polls. And, you know, I think historians are having a gradual reassessment of Ulysses Grant. Um, if, if you look at the partisan breakdowns of our result of our survey we see republicans in particular have really uh assessed um grant more favorably and so i think that um you know there there have been some big books kind of popular history history books that have come out over the last decade or so that uh, have taken on grant as a subject and so i think this combination of republicans um you know embracing grant more 
him getting more public notoriety through, you know, the kinds of books you see on the shelves and airports and at Barnes and Noble, and then a, a, a gradual reassessment among our historian colleagues um, about Grant, uh, all those things kind of combine to have him, um, you know, being viewed less negatively uh, than he was before, where, you know, assessments were really based on, you know, perceptions about corruption and maybe lack of preparedness for political office um, uh, and, and um, you know, some of the the less savory aspects of, of his administration. Well, it's, it's, it is uh, amazing to see the changes over time and what time can do to reputations, uh, undoubtedly. I mean, it reminds me of, I guess, uh, was it the Chinese foreign minister, uh, Zhao Lei, was asked about the French Revolution in, in the 1970s by some reporter, and he said, well, it's too soon to tell. Um <laughs> Yeah, um, maybe we have a little bit of that going on here. Uh, maybe it's not so t- soon to tell after a couple hundred years uh, what, what folks are, are thinking. Uh, listen, I have a, a bit of a serious question um, uh, about the presidency and maybe our obsession with it. Uh, we've all written, um, everyone speaking today, myself included, written about the presidency. Uh, and yet I wonder, what is our interest, maybe at times obsession. I don't know if there are these kinds of surveys for the court or for Congress in the same way. What does that say about democracy? Is there anything about, and you began thinking about American democracy and um, presidential norms in democracy. We began the conversation with that. Is there anything about this survey itself that um, leads you to think about our larger democracy and its connection, relationship with the American presidency? I think you're exactly right. Thinking about the presidency as a solo entity, especially one where a great person can become this magical leader is fraught. (laughs) We want to and should think about the presidency as a part of a system. It's one ingredient in this combination of things that makes up the constitutional democracy in the country. So in a way, what we do is misleading because it implies that this sort of one great person can really make these changes. Um, I think the way that we cut into it, at least the way I think about it is that, you know, the presidency needs to rise to the occasion on these moments where you've got these extreme circumstances. This was sort of the intent of the way the presidency unfolded and the design from the framers long ago. And so in that sense, thinking about why presidents kind of meet that standard or how they don't is really important. And that's one thing. And I think the second thing is, like we've been saying, that you know the ways that we assess leaders can change. I think that the 2015 version and the 2018 version, we found a lot of credibility behind scholars saying that kind of breaking through the partisan divide to find success was the way to become a great president. But now, like we've been talking about, the norms have changed. So presidents who are institutionally responsible have become kind of more voguish for how greatness is assessed. So I think that that's interesting, too, because it does give us a window into the way that the institutions are changing. And we cannot get away from the notion that presidential kind of solar system centric (laughs) thinking is the way that the media talk about this. It's the way our students think about it. It's the way most people kind of walking around believe it to be true. So understanding kind of in context how we think about what great presidents do and don't do, I think gives us some, you know, sense of the system's health. I think that uh, you both have have expressed it uh, correctly in terms of, you know, the centrality of the presidency and our kind of our, our national political 
mythology and also the problematic nature that that could um, have. Uh, you know, there's a book out there ref- that talks about this and also talks about presidential greatness as the title of the book, I think, puts it nicely. It calls it the cult of the presidency and um, that uh, there can be a danger when you have, uh, you know, a a president who is, you know, um, unilaterally authorized to uh, behave in, in in particular ways. And 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 really, uh, there are critiques of these kinds of presidential greatness surveys that we do, that they kind of, in a minor way, encourage the behavior, this maybe imperial behavior of a president um, to pursue greatness, right? To act in ways that um, uh, push the boundaries and that uh, stretch the norms and that challenge the, the legal structures that uh, that govern them and us. And so, um, you know, I, I, I hold us blameless in that conversation, but maybe others don't. And, uh, and, but I think it's something to be mindful of and, and certainly is related to um, the kind of shifting ways in which uh, uh, people like us um uh, view the presidency, but also ways in which the people who are president who seek to become president frame themselves to the American people. Well, we're going to have to leave it at that. I do want to ask, I guess, uh, one final question, and it's related to what's next for you both uh, with respect to the uh, these surveys. Uh, when do you anticipate if you if there will be another one? When would that be? And um, is there any new question or approach that you'd like to uh, add, uh, given your your uh, expertise in in now conducting these over the years, you know that's that's a great question. I think we'll it'll be you know several years until we do another one, maybe five or six years until we do another one. Um, and in terms of our approach, uh, you know, it's always inter. It would be we've we've often talked about wanting to do a side by side survey of the public um, to see um, you know at real time how differently the views of experts and uh, just regular everyday voters are on American uh, politicians. And, uh, and so that's something that hopefully next time around we'll do. Uh, but also, you know, we'll we'll learn some things that, you know, as we continue to study these results um, and that uh, if it tells us anything, it tells us that the dynamics of the particular moment shape the assessment. Clearly, there is a, a norms dimension that's that's going through uh, the minds of our colleagues uh, at this particular moment. There was clearly a kind of a response to polarization question that was going through in the in the previous versions of the survey. And you know, it will it'll be interesting to see, and to the extent to which we can anticipate it, um, what would be going on in the minds of our colleagues in five or six years when we do this again, and and can we capture? Uh, in advance, um, uh, th- that kind of uh, a factor, or is it going to be something that comes out to us like this time as we study the results? We also concurrent with this set of survey questions, ask people about vice presidential greatness. So we don't have a vice president's day, <laughs> not yet, but we added in this because again, we were concerned about the kind of institutional dynamics. How is it that as a system, these things work? So stay tuned for those results because it may be interesting for us to tease the way that the vice presidents are seen as being great or not great, or maybe just irrelevant in general. So we'll see what our respondents think about that. Well, I'm, I'm thinking students may not be able to finagle a full day off for vice president's <laughs> day, uh, but maybe a half day. Off. At least a long lunch. 
<laughs> a long lunch. That fair enough. A coffee break at at a minimum. <laughs> That's right. Listen, That's right. Uh, you both are, are terrific scholars and and friends, and I really appreciate you both, uh, Brandon Rottinghouse and and Justin Vaughn, for appearing on this moment in democracy. Thanks, Gendy. Thanks for the opportunity. It's terrific having you once again. Thank you so much for joining us. Today's podcast has been brought to you by the Eagleton Institute of Politics. Eagleton is a nonpartisan research unit of Rutgers University, New Brunswick. This moment in democracy was made possible in part by the generosity of Gerald and Kiko Harvey and Eagleton's many supporters. To support Eagleton's work or sign up for its newsletter, click the links in the description. Please help support the work we do at this moment in democracy. Visit our podcast page at eagleton.ruckers.edu to learn more. We want to hear from our listeners. Email us at podcast at eagleton.ruckers.edu to send in your comments about today's episode or suggest topics that you want to hear about. That's it for today. Happy President's Day. Thank you for joining us on this moment in democracy.